Squad Radio, the music you want. With your host, Dee Dan. And now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! What's up, party people? It's Keys Dan with RadioWhat.com, DJLittleRock.com, coming to you live and in living color from the Radio What Studios. And this is my podcast, What Makes You Famous? It's an extension of the RadioWhat.com internet radio station that I've been running for quite some time. And if you need DJ services, where do I always send you? DJLittleRock.com. One more time, DJLittleRock.com. Check availability and get a free price quote. And maybe you could have me at your next event. You know I like to party with the people. The people need to be entertained. Are you not entertained? Let me entertain you. Today on the program, something a little bit different on the What Makes You Famous podcast. I debated on whether to make it a What Makes You Smarter podcast. Those are the podcasts that I do when I'm by myself and I want to learn something. Typically, I read a Wikipedia page and become an expert, but uh, I, I decided to put this under the moniker of what makes you famous because I did have other voices besides myself. Uh, big thanks to Jerry Epps, Jack Meadows, Bobby Haynes, Dolores Haynes, and of course, my lovely wife, Rochelle Gilson. Uh, today on the program, I visited with, uh, with my family, the Jacksonville Museum of Military History in Jacksonville, Arkansas. And I took a little tour, uh, had some voices. Jerry Epps helped me through, Jack Meadows. And then I had some anecdotes from Bobby Haynes, Dolores Haynes, and Rochelle Gilson. And Rochelle, special thanks. Uh, she took some pictures for me, so I added them to the video version. So this is not a typical what makes you famous. It is. Um, it, it could be grim at times because I wish there was no war, and I'm sure... <laughs> I, I'm sure that you do as well, it, it, and I can be very general with that. There are very few people that I, I that possibly could even want war. Uh, profiteers, maybe, <laughs> possibly, possibly. But uh, I'll try to stay as apolitical as possible, and just you know, I, it's going to be mostly uh, audio, but there'll be some a pictorial um, kind of a walkthrough. If you're watching the video version of this, if you're listening to the audio, I'll do my best to describe the museum and all its parts as I walk through the Jacksonville Museum of Military History. And this week's shows, uh, well, let's see, uh, Friday night, I'm usually at the Rab in Conway, Arkansas, the video dance party karaoke jam, 8 p.m. until 1230 in the AM. Well, this Friday night, I have All About Entertainment covering the Rab for me. I will be at a middle school dance. Very excited about that. This is the second or third year that I've done a, a dance at this particular middle school. I'm not going to tell you which middle school. I don't want you showing up, you creeps. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have a middle school dance. I'm so stoked on Friday night. And then Saturdays, always uh, saved for weddings and parties. Yeah, I do have some Saturdays available. So if you would like to schedule your event in the central Arkansas area or even beyond, <laughs> if the price is right, uh, have equipment, will travel. You can give me a call, 501-470-6386. Or better yet, you can visit my website, djlittlerock.com. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into it with the people, the fine, fine people of jacksonville museum of military history let's go do that now 
hanging out here with Jerry Epps over at the Military Museum in Jacksonville. Uh, tell me, Jerry Epps, uh, thank you for the invitation, by the way. Uh, what do you do here at the Military Museum? Well, I'm a volunteer. Uh, the, the, every museum relies on volunteers, obviously. And uh, I welcome people in the door and uh, point out some of our interesting artifacts and try to make sure everybody has a good time while they're here. So you're standing at the front desk, and we're about to go in. Uh, there'll be photos if, you, if you're watching the video version of this. If you're listening to the audio version, I'm going to do my best to try to explain what's, what I'm looking at, what I'm seeing. But uh, it'd be probably best to go to the YouTube and, and check out the video version, because the, the wife is going to be taking pictures, and I'm going to put them up as a photo essay of what's uh, going on at the Military Museum. I'm kind of excited. There's a lot to see here. Uh, they got a gift shop at the front door. Hey, I guess that's typical. Probably buy some gifts on the way out the door but uh jerry epps you coming around with us or are you stuck at the front i will walk around with you and try and uh add a add a little context to some things hopefully fantastic i got a tour guide i thought i was just gonna be walking around looking at things well let me wait for the wife to come in and we'll get this thing going hey let me uh at least uh mention the wife rochelle she's taking photos for this uh, we're just getting into the foyer of the military museum and it looks like there's a tour already underway. Can we take photos? Yes, but no flash, obviously. Uh, this is our uh, Vietnam Memorial exhibit. Every one from Arkansas who went to Vietnam and didn't come home is represented by a dog tag. So the, every dog tag is a person from Arkansas who went to Vietnam and did not make it home. Are these the actual dog tags that they were wearing or the replicas? Uh, the dog, these are all replicas and all their names are on the map here. Do you know how many offhand uh, were they were? This is quite impressive there's a plaque here from arkansas to the silver fields of vietnam about this exhibit this memorial features a dog tag imprinted with the name hometown and branch of service for every arkansas arkansan killed in action in the vietnam war as listed on the national vietnam war memorial the wall in washington dc the map on the wall shows the corresponding location for each dog tag on the overhead panel does not mention how oh wait is that representing over fifty six thousand men okay this is they're, they're mentioning the memorial yeah i guess if we did some math all right jerry did the math and what did you come up with uh, around 600 600 all men uh, all all men from arkansas that went to vietnam and didn't make it home there were no lady fighters back then for all you kids out there. My wife is currently laying on the ground so she can get this shot of the dog tags from below. And Jerry had a, an interesting anecdote from Vietnam. Uh, well, not Vietnam, North Korea. North Korea. Um, someone was, a tourist was there taking pictures and to get, to try and get a picture of the entire statue of Kim Jong-un, he laid on the ground to be able to get the whole statue in frame and they thought he was making fun of the statue, so they arrested him. It's nice to be living in America, isn't it? Well, if you hear any other voices, uh, my father-in-law, Bobby's in this, and my mother-in-law, Dolores, is in there. And we're just getting out of the foyer and walking through. We're in a spot with Ebert's Field, Lone Oak, Arkansas. Wife will take some pictures. There's a plaque commemorating World War One. This war to end all wars started with the assassination of Austrian Archduke Francis Ferdinand and his wife Sophie on June 28, 1914 in Sarajevo, the capital of Austrian province of Bosnia. I think um, I've heard that story many times and how it was botched at first 
but uh, through many fumbles, the Austrian Archduke and his wife were assassinated. Continue on on the plaque, Austria-Hungary suspected Serbia of being involved in the assassination and declared war on it in July 24th, 1914. And there's a lot more. And uh, if you read the photo, the photo will be taken of the World War I plaque and the Ebertsfield, Lone Oak, Arkansas. Thanks to Rochelle, my lovely wife and photographer. All right, continuing on. I have Jerry Epps still giving me the tour. Look at this. I think we're in the Civil War area, 1861 to 1865. What can you tell me about this? Uh, well, let me show you this item right here. This is called a McClellan saddle. During the Civil War, there was a shortage of big, strong horses for the cavalry to ride. And uh, General McClellan came up with this saddle design where there is no uh, center in the saddle, so the horse's backbone would be right here in the middle, so the saddle wouldn't hurt the skinny horses that many of the cavalry had to ride. So this greatly increased the number of usable horses in the Civil War for cavalry. Arkansas in the Civil War. So like Reed's Bridge, uh, this this is uh, right here in Jacksonville where the Union Army was trying to find a way into uh, Little Rock and the uh, Confederates stopped the Union Army at the Battle of Reed's Bridge. The other exhibits in here, do they focus on uh, Arkansas and the Civil War. Well, I got Reed's Bridge attack and repulse, 2.30 to 4.30 p.m., very short battle, August 27th. What is that, 1861? It doesn't have the, the year. 1863, excuse me. Pea Ridge is the really the only major civil war engagement in Arkansas as I understand it and that's there's a, a civil war battlefield and museum up at Pea Ridge that you can go visit sometime. I'm looking at Pea Ridge or Elkhorn Tavern March 7th and 8th 1862 there's a, a uniform represented there's some binoculars pretty neat uh, what is that a musket ball or what, what kind of a ball is that? I would think it's a small cannonball. Cannonball yeah, I guess I couldn't fit that into a rifle, but that's, uh, it's about the size of maybe a little bit bigger than a golf ball, possibly. Yeah, something like that. A little bit bigger than a golf ball, black. Once again, if you're listening to the audio version of this, check out the video on the YouTube page. Let's look up, what is the official name of this place? Jacksonville Museum of Military History. I think that's what I'm going to name it. Looking on, I have Vicksburg Key to the Trans... Mississippi, the reduction of river fortresses like Island Number 10 and the occupation of New Orleans, Memphis, and Helena made the Mississippi a mostly federal river by the spring of 1862. Amphibious operations with the river fleet of Admiral Farragut had taken Baton Rouge and Natchez. He met the river ram fleet coming down from Memphis in front of Vicksburg on May 18th. 1862. Caught Jerry talking to the wife. That we're in was built in 1945. The uh, Arkansas Ordnance Plant, which took up the footprint of the Air Force Base during World War II, this, where this building is, is where the administration building was for the Ordnance Plant. That building burned in 45, and then they built this in the same spot. Era of the history, or is it just all like fascinating to you? Because you were saying your dad is like the Civil War my father-in-law is father a Civil War expert. He was in the Navy. He, flew, he was in a P2V Neptunes during the Cold War. So he was hunting Russian submarines during the Cold War. Oh, my goodness. So, and, uh, but when I 
my 10th birthday, my dad took me to Battleship Memorial Park in Mobile. So my entire 10th birthday was spent running around on a battleship and submarine. And that kind of is where my history nerd is. Yeah, that's why I became a history nerd. It's my 10th birthday. Excellent. So your answer your question, World War II, definitely. Because, yeah. you know, growing up, they still had tons of World War II-based theme TV shows, movies. Yeah. Um, and then spending my weekends on the battleship for, you know, running around. But my, my, my interest in history grew out of that. So mm-hmm. I... Civil War was always kind of, meh. (laughs) Jerry Epps explains the reason for the location. Well, this is why the museum is here, is because the ordnance plant was here. Um, This building, like I said, was uh, where the admin building was, and that's that's why they chose this building to to build the museum. And this area here talks about the ordnance plant. Um, Every bomb a American bomber dropped out of a plane has a detonator on it and nearly all of them were made here at the Arkansas Ordnance Plant in Jacksonville. War, you know, promoting jobs. World War II is what got women into the workforce in a big way. All the men were overseas uh, fighting and it was a uh, it was a total war. The whole country you know, all the, all the car plants stopped making cars and started making planes and tanks and bombs and guns and bullets. Um, to meet the production needs, they needed every available body. Uh, women, um, blacks had been largely not allowed in the uh, industrial workforce, and that, that had to change during World War II because there just weren't enough bodies to make everything that was needed. Yeah, I'm in the next room, and there's a famous picture of Rosie the Riveter up here. Soldiers without guns. That's a pretty famous poster, but none more famous than the uh, Rosie the Riveter with her polka dot kerchief, making her arm guns, the muscles, war production coordinating committee. We can do it. And there's pictures of women that served in non-combat. In the war, fascinating room. That's the original building that was in this spot. The AOP administration building, 1941 to 1945. And there's an article from the Arkansas Democrat. If you look at this aerial photo, you can see the circle out front, which is the circle out front now where the bell tower is. So you can see this is exactly where the the original building was. A snapshot of war production here. National war production. Yeah, you can read that. Uh, Some historians believe that war production was the real key to Allied victory in World War II. The Allies outproduced the Axis. Existing industry converted to war production and new war plants were built rapidly. The USA alone produced 296,429 airplanes, 86,333 tanks, 11,900 ships. And that's sourced by the World Book Encyclopedia. Yeah, encyclopedias. I grew up with those. Had a whole set of them. Enjoyed them a lot. Uh, These are examples of the detonators that were uh, produced here. These are boxes of... of, Oh, the detonators on... Oh, I see. Crates. These would have been crates full of detonators. You added those to the bombs right before they took off so you didn't want them blowing up on the ground (laughs) look like a uh uh, the the warhead part Uh, typical if you're watching your movies uh you 
you'll see the the caps screwed on to the bullets. My man Jerry Epps working hard. He had to answer the front door, but I have the lovely wife still taking pictures. A U.S. Navy, women's Navy wave uniform. There's a bust of the gal is a wow, women ordnance worker. Hey, read that part. Sculptor John Deering designed and made this clay model of a woman ordnance worker, or a WOW, in 2001 in honor of his mother that worked at the Arkansas Ordnance Plant. John Deering, a lifelong Arkansan, attended the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, where he studied fine art. In 1981, he began work for the Arkansas Democrat, now the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, where he became a regular cartoon contributor to the Voices page and was eventually promoted to the Democrats' chief editorial cartoonist. John's political cartoons have been featured in Time, Newsweek, and the Sunday New York Times and have been shown on the NBC Nightly News, ABC, and C-SPAN. John has won several national awards for political cartooning, including the Fischetti Award given by Columbia College Chicago and the Berryman Award from the National Press Foundation. In addition to his editorial cartoons, Creator Syndicate also distributes his two comic features, Strange Brew and Zach Hill. A professional sculptor as well, John has completed three monuments for the state of Arkansas, which are on permanent display on the grounds of the state capitol in Little Rock. John's work is in other public and private collections in Arkansas and around the U.S. Joined with uh, two clay sculptures, one bust of a woman and then one full-bodied sculpture of a woman holding a lunchbox. Just behind that, there's the Arkansas Ordnance Plant. I guess this is where what Jerry was talking about, 1941 to 1945. This exhibit is dedicated to the memory of our friend Ben Rice. 1937 to 2013, his dedication and drive helped open the doors of this museum. And there's a Latin quote, Dimidium facti qui copit habit. There's no translation of that, but I think I'm going to try to find that out later. Could not find it anywhere. Stepping into the next room, there's a lot of uniforms representing all the branches of the military, Army, Marines, Navy, Air Force, and the Coast Guard. There's a sign featured. There's a, a few weapons, and there's a sign featured. The guns in this museum have been demilitarized. They don't work. There's a 9mm Stan Mark III machine carbine, a swimmy M44 manufactured in Finland. It's got a shoulder rest that uh, kind of flips around. Interesting weapons. Oh, Jerry's back. His front door duties. Private donations or... Does the museum itself like go and like buy from different things or? Um, pretty much everything in the museum was either donated or loaned to the museum. So some of the collections, um, like that, are, sometimes regardless of whether they're donated or loaned, sometimes the person who uh, provided them wants them kept together. This case right here has something I've never seen at any other museum, and I've been to many museums. This is a Christmas card sent by Adolf Hitler, and there's Adolf Hitler's signature on that. Um, so there you have it. Even mass murderers uh, send out Christmas cards, or, or just because you got a Christmas card from someone doesn't mean they're necessarily a good person. Do I have to say allegedly on that one? Um, I, didn't, I didn't acquire the card. Um, no, I'd say mass murderers allegedly. Um, 
Uh, I don't think the, I don't think you have to say allegedly on that one. No, no. This is uh, amazing. A lot of the things in this case are extremely rare, because, especially because there just weren't that many of them made to begin with. Mm -hmm. This cross here was given to uh, uh, German women who provided... Uh, this says eight, but I was told it's actually five. If a German woman had five sons in the German army, she would get that cross. Um, either way, there just weren't that many people who had five or eight sons in the German army. So, again, very, a very rare item. And, and I'm told a lot of the uh, uh, items in this case are extremely rare. And they're uh, from the Lloyd Acklin collection. Would they have to have hidden these, like, were like after they were like coming away from being in Germany, were they allowed to bring these things, or were they kind of frowned upon of taking anything out of Germany? Well, I'm not a veteran, so I have to go by what I'm told. In like the Iraq uh, Gulf Wars, bringing home souvenirs is very frowned upon, but during World War II, not so much. Lots of people brought home. I believe most of the German items here were brought home by American soldiers who served in in World War II. Well, you mentioned earlier the blacks, the African Americans, and there's a plaques and pictures dedicated to the Tuskegee Airmen, the consequences during World War II. African Americans were initially excluded from combat and generally performed service, in quotation marks, duties. However, attitudes changed due to the exemplary performance of the Tuskegee P-51 fighter pilots and crews as performance of the t uh, as escorts for American bomber planes. The loss of American bombers over Germany was staggering, but the Tuskegee Red Tails did not lose a single bomber under their care. During World War II, more than one million black servicemen and women served in segregated or separate units. While many were assigned to service or support units, each branch had some segregated combat units. The excellent performance of these units helped lead to the desegregation of the military by President Truman in 1948. Here are some of the uh, units that, to me, this is the real reason we need Black History Month, because I, I love history. I, I've read, uh, studied history most of my life. I had never heard that there were two U.S. Navy ships with almost all black crews. The USS Mason, a destroyer escort and the USS PC-1264, a submarine chaser. There were black Marines. There were, most people have heard of the Tuskegee Airmen, the black fighter pilot units, um, but there was a black paratrooper unit, the, uh, the Triple Nickel, and they, while they didn't uh, serve in combat, ironically, you've heard of the, uh, the Chinese balloon thing now, but during World War II, Japan launched thousands of balloon bombs at the United States and they uh, were designed to drop incendiary bombs and set the U.S. forests on fire. Well, the, uh, the government suppressed all uh, reporting of that, and the triple nickel parachutes uh, people, they went out and fought the fires, forest fires and prevented them from spreading. They were the first units to parachute in to fight forest fires. So black paratroopers are why we have the term smoke jumpers today. I need to do a whole podcast on the segregated units of World War II. Uh, let me mention this uh, right here, the 6888 Battalion. It was the only female black battalion to serve overseas during World War II. You know, troops were constantly moving, getting transferred 
from unit to unit. So the mail was a disaster. The 6th Triple Lake went over to England and straightened out the mess that was the mail. Uh, they 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 succeeded in fixing the the uh, back uh, or eliminating the backlog of mail service in uh, World War Two. I like the colloquialisms, the triple nickels, the five five five, and the what did you call it? Six triple eight. Yes, <laughs> it's fantastic. Six eight 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 battalion, uh, the Women's Army Corps. Is there a lot of information out there available for people to learn more about this, or is it not really out there? It is out there. Uh, I learned about a lot of this by accident when I was trying to research the uh, Tuskegee Airmen to learn more about them. If you search uh, black segregated units of World War II, there's like a 30 or 45 minute YouTube video that actually covers a lot of these. And that's kind of what got me started. And there, there are books about individual units available. But it's, again, you have to go looking for it, which to me is is the whole point of Black History Month is there's a lot of history that we should all know and we just don't know because for many decades it was actively suppressed. Um, same with Women's History Month. Contributions and sacrifices of women were ignored, uh, suppressed for many decades. Now it's out there. I think maybe they cover it more in school today, but all of us who have already out of school, we don't know about it. Continuing on into the next room, we got a, a big picture of the Arkansas Gazette Extra. June 6th, 1944, Little Rock, Arkansas, Tuesday. Allies land in France. This is the famous D-Day, how it was reported in the Arkansas Gazette. D-Day anniversary on the tableau in front of you represents the fictitious meeting on Omaha Beach in Normandy, France, between a paratrooper of the 101st Airborne Division and a soldier of the U.S. 1st Division. The paratroops had been dropped behind the invasion beaches as much as six hours before the infantry came ashore. The beach obstacle to the right was called a hedgehog, that big iron thing that you've seen in many war movies uh, that kind of prevent people from going on that's wrapped in barbed wire and was placed by the Germans at the high water marks to impede or destroy landing craft. The photos to the left and right are images taken during the invasion and the image on the back wall is a mock-up of a typical extra newspaper edition issued in the U.S. reporting on the long-awaited return of allies to Europe. On the wall behind you are images and biographies of seven Arkansans in action on D-Day, five of these soldiers did not survive that day. Some famous photos. Uh, there's a, a poster, United We Are Strong, United We Will Win. And it's many weapons wrapped in the flags of the Allied forces that are aiming into the air. And there's a Tuskegee Airman in another poster, Keep Us Flying by War Bonds. There's a soldier kind of heading into action with his uh, rifle and bayonet attached. All soldiers can't be in the infantry, but soldiers in the United States between the ages of 18 and 32 may apply for transfer to the infantry. This privilege is provided by War Department Circulars 262 and 278, 1944. Ask your commanding officer. Get yourself transferred out to a combat position. There's a poster of a woman dressed in uniform. It's got the, she's got a patch that's blue on top with a white stripe and red on the bottom. It's a circular. circular. She's the topographic draftsman, Army Ground Forces, 
And there's a uh, statement says, women's place in war. The Army of the United States has 239 kinds of jobs for women. The Women's Army Corps. Many different pictures of Arkansans that I read about on the wall behind me. Private Edsel Malone, 2nd Battalion, Mortar Platoon, Major George S. Grant, Executive Officer, 3rd Battalion, 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment, Private First Class, Isaac W. Wright, Company A, 1st Battalion, 18th Infantry Regiment. And it's right next to his Bronze Star Medal uh, Certificate. Private First Class, Walter W. Jones, Company F, 2nd Battalion, 116th Infantry Regiment. Next to his Silver Star Medal, Tech 5th Grade, Henry B. Mack. McAfee. He's Company C, 746th Tank Battalion, Independent, the Liberators. Next photo is Gunner's Mate First Class, James Everett Atterbury, United States Coast Guard, 28th of June, 1920, killed in action on 6th of June, 1944. He's one of those that did not make it. PHM, on the next picture is PHM Albert James Antoine U.S. Navy Corpsman Landing Ship Tank, LST 351. There's a small plaque, D-Day 70th Anniversary, honoring the seven Arkansans who were part of the invasion. Five did not survive the day. So five of the seven that I just read did not make it through. Next room has a biplane. There's a Japanese flag of some kind with a lot of Japanese writing on it. There's no placard for that one. There's an American flag above it, the last flag flown on the ship PC-576 in 1945, taken down by Virgil Hughes. There's a photo commemorating the B-24 crew, 13th Air Force, 5th Bomb Group, 31st Bomb Squadron, 2nd Lieutenant Leslie O. Evans, he's the pilot, the 1st Lieutenant Harry A. Raglan, navigator. Second Lieutenant James E. Tate Jr., co-pilot. Second Lieutenant Aloysius Dumerat, bombardier. Ooh, I like that name, Aloysius. Sergeant James J. Hayes, engineer, upper gunner. Sergeant Donald Lassine, radio operator. Sergeant William F. Ryan, nose gunner. Corporal Anthony Mullowitz, speary gunner. Corporal Herschel K. Hust, waist gunner. Corporal Charles R. Walter, tail gunner. Takes a crew. Work together. Yeah, take that your whole life. There's a case in this room. It has an example of a Japanese soldier. There's the Sun News Pictorial, Singapore. Danger grows as Japs press back defenders. There's a mannequin with an imperial Japanese soldier's uniform. This is the standard uniform of a Japanese imperial soldier. This uniform was worn by the Army, Navy, and Imperia, equivalent of the Marines. This soldier is wearing the standard leather belt and cartridge cases. He's equipped with a Type 99 7.7mm rifle with bayonet attached, as well as a grenade. Steeped in the deep tradition of Bushido, these soldiers were highly disciplined, motivated, and quite willing to die for the Emperor and their country to be captured or defeated on the battlefield for these soldiers was considered a dishonor to the emperor, their country, and their family, and was therefore not an option. They fought tenaciously with great courage and were regarded as 
a fierce enemy to the face. Now, I did have a discussion at lunch earlier with my father-in-law. We were discussing the, the, the bombs, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and the possible third bomb that would have been deployed to Tokyo. Uh, was that the right call for Harry Truman? Well, that statement that I just read, that they would have kept fighting until the end, till the last, uh, for honor and for, you know, for the emperor, they would not have stopped fighting if not for those bombs. Yeah, it, was it the right call? Sadly, I believe it was. I think it saved more lives, but did kill a lot of innocent lives. I mean, to be sure. Stepping into the next room. Now, this is a big room. This one has jeeps and wagons with cannons and a lot of displays, big warheads, propellers. This looks like a video of the famous Damascus video uh, incident. All right. We got another interesting character joining us. My name's Dan, Keys Dan. Uh, what's your name, sir, and what do you do? I'm Jack Meadows. I've been a volunteer for almost 18 years, ever since the doors opened. I'm a retired Air Force, and I really was one of the original Titan II crew members from 60 years ago. We just watched a small video in the big room about the Damascus Titan uh, disaster. I mean, this is the first time I've seen a video of it. I've heard a lot of podcasts about it, heard, heard, heard some radio shows, read a little bit about it. Of course, being in Arkansas, that's a, a big news uh, from, was it, uh, what year was it? 1980. 1980. That's really not that long ago. And these were Titan, they're right in the, in the thick of the Cold War, uh, you know, making preparations, making sure that America was safe from any enemies. And tell me, what was your position in the Titan II? And were you stationed here in Arkansas? I was stationed here in Arkansas. I was a missile facility technician. My job was, of course, to help launch a missile. If it came to that, my job was taking care of all the facilities that kept the Titan running day in, day out. That's the, the most famous story of that particular Titan, the wrench heard around the world, I guess, but maybe not really, right? It was kept silent uh, for the most part, correct? Yes. This is a military facility, military secrets, I suppose, that, you know, our, our defense. But uh, you weren't the one that dropped the wrench, right? No, I retired here before that happened. <laughs> Not that there was a connection there, but I just happened to retire. Uh, did you happen to, have you launched our missile yet? I don't think I have. I've, I have not launched a missile. Uh, this room has so many things to see. I think I'm going to go launch a missile. Hopefully not for real. We'll do it. Let's do it. Of course, there were two keys in separate locations, but this is not where it's really enough. Turn that key to the right and turn it loose and watch the screen. Turning the key to the right. Hopefully this does not start. Uh, an international incident. I'm going to give you some more volume so you can appreciate it. The Titan II, huge, powerful, and potentially hazardous. 365 days a year, life on alert was often boring sometimes intense but always critical it's a video presentation of an actual launch of a titan II missile tell me more jack meadows four-man crew two officers two enlisted that's me right there there's a photo of some very young strapping young men meadows is on the first of four in the picture that he's holding there now hopefully my wife can come around and take a picture of mr meadows and his uh, and his crew uh, he's, wearing, he's wearing a members-only jacket. Are you the last member? 
close <laughs> because I just turned 86. God bless you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. He's got his actual uniform right there. Meadows moving through. I mentioned that there was a big missile warhead and there's a re it's called a re-entry Titan II cone on loan from the National Museum of the United States Air Force. The display is provided by the Association of Air Force Missilers in memory of the AAFM members. Captain Jonathan Bayliss, Bob O'Bedro, Major General Richard Bovary, Lieutenant Colonel Lewis Grimnitz, Commanding Sergeant, CMSJT. I apologize, I'm not a I'm not a military man. Raymond E. Kelsey, Brigadier General William G. King. Colonel Charles Lipscomb, David J. Morris, Master Sergeant John Elton Smith, Lieutenant Colonel Clyde H. Smith, Commanding Sergeant CMSJT, Robert Schumacher. It's just so much to see visually uh, to be able to try to do it any kind of justice on an audio media is just almost impossible. There's a display for Korea from 1950 to 1953, General Douglas MacArthur, General Douglas MacArthur, a native Arkansan, graduated first in his West Point class, served in World War I and was commandant at West Point as commander of Allied forces in the Pacific in World War II. He accepted the Japanese surrender and then implemented democratic reforms in the post-war occupation of Japan. After North Korea invaded South Korea in 1950, he directed U.N. resistance forces in a brilliant military maneuver. Some isolated U.N. forces left Pusan by sea and landed at Inchon, I-N-C-H-O-N, and then proceeded to capture Seoul and cut off North Korean supply lines. With disaster thus averted, U.N., and South Korean forces engaged in bloody cold-weather fighting with North Koreans and Chinese until a ceasefire truce was signed on July 27, 1953. MacArthur and President Truman disagreed on the conduct of the Korean War, and Truman fired MacArthur <laughs> amid great controversy. General Arthur MacArthur and General Douglas MacArthur, the only father-son Recipients of the Medal of Honor. A picture of General Douglas MacArthur. Very commanding man. It's a four-star general. So many displays to see here in the museum. There's a display dedicated to the Arkansas National Guard. Voodoo Medicine Man. A plaque that's pretty striking. It kind of commands the eye. There's a mannequin in a mock-up of a an ejection-type seat. I guess the actual kind of seat that a jet fighter pilot would be in 154th tactical airlift training squadron commander the veterans of world war ii england africa sicily italy south of france 2125 combat sorties in korea itazuki taiju 4223 combat sorties the pueblo incident i need to learn more about that itazuki Osan, 2,946 sorties, 5,255 hours. Granada, two sorties. Even though this military museum is located real close to the Little Rock Air Force Base, all of the armed forces are represented almost equally. The Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, there's quite a bit to see. And they've paid a lot of attention 
and really came up with these models that uh, allow you to see what combat might have looked at like and never being in combat myself it's awesome i'm filled with much awe our soldiers had to live this way in order to do what they deemed fit deemed right to protect freedom yes i wish there was no war i hear you i hear you out there if uh, we could put an end to all wars that would be wonderful but unfortunately that's not the way of the world right now there's a an amazing replica of the statue of liberty wrapped in a in an american flag i find my wife rochelle talking to jack meadows got together and bought 6500 acres gave it to the defense department said here build us an air force base wow. we've always had a great base and that's community incredible relations. so the community were like here that's right so you said it's in here the video yes i have to watch it help yourself have fun <laughs> we haven't heard a lot from dolores uh, she's got a little anecdote go for it lived at pruitt arkansas and I lived in a house trailer, and my son and I had got up and painted the top of the trailer, and it was really shiny. And these uh, fighter jets kept coming over treetop high and then dropping down on the Buffalo River and going up. So I called Jacqueline Air Force Base, and I said, you know, what's going on? They said, we are using you as a target for bombing, and then we're going down below ra radar and going up the Buffalo River. I said, thanks a lot. <laughs> Just catching up with Jerry Epps and Bobby Haynes, and they're uh, shooting the breeze about what war stories and after war and Cold War stories. The Damascus incident, there's a whole video we watched uh, recently. The accident just shows how hard so many airmen work for so oh, long. Yeah. I mean, 25 years, one major accident, uh, well, that's that's pretty good they safety were record. The last 10 years, they still had them running at 25. You know, right. they shut them down after 25 years. That's the most famous thing that I, I know about that part of the country. What, what amazed me was that the cover that goes over there, when that thing blew up, they said that cover went how far? I, I, it was a good long ways. And it weighed 750 tons. I guess it was designed to survive a nuclear attack. I don't know. Well, the latest podcast I heard about it was that, that it wasn't the A team that was doing the job. It was like the, the B team, uh, and there were teenagers, 19, 20 years old, uh, that were in charge of this maintenance part of the Damascus missile, this Titan II. I don't know what they were, and I wouldn't comment on it, but uh, they had... They had supervision with officers there that wasn't 18 and 20, I'll guarantee you. The, the wrench that they were using was the wrong wrench at the time, but it's the wrench that they used to use years before. It was an old wrench that had been uh, replaced, so they shouldn't have been using that wrench. But in their minds, they were like, well, this is what we used to use two years ago, and I don't want to go all the way back up to the truck to get the right wrench, so let's just use this one. This is at the end of a 14-hour workday, and you're talking about taking more than an hour to take off a, a special suit they had to wear, go through three blast doors, go up. So it was, it's not like it was going to be a two-minute thing but um I'd open the screen door and grab it it didn't happen right it's it, 
nearly every major accident is a series of unfortunate events that lead up to it. That is correct. That's true of nearly every aircraft crash, every missile incident, even even car wrecks a lot of times are just three or four things in a row that had to go wrong in that order to happen. Most of it is at the end of a bottle. <laughs> well, Jerry Epps, I appreciate the invite to this military museum. Uh, my goodness, I, uh, I got some editing to do. Put this all together and make a nice little presentation. And hopefully we get some more people that show up. Bobby? You can come back down here and we can, and you can get stuff you didn't talk about and, and put another issue, evident, new uh, tape out on it. Part two coming up, and part one's not even not even put together yet. Well, uh, I was busy with some other guests, but let me show you a couple of things real quick just in case you missed them. Let's do a walk and talk. We routinely do a Welcome Home Vietnam's event, uh, Welcome Home Vietnam Veterans event. Uh, we had to skip it a few years because of COVID, but uh, we try to have an event to say Welcome Home, give Give Vietnam veterans the welcome home they never got when they should have got it. A lot of uh, Vietnam veterans have come over the years, and this huge map you see on the wall here is covered with signatures of Vietnam veterans. Many of them signed it uh, you know, where they were in Vietnam during the war. I've watched Good Morning Vietnam with Robin Williams from the Delta to the DMZ, and there's, there's a map right there clearly, clearly showing the DMZ. And South Vietnam, Laos, Thailand, as their r relationship there, Cambodia. Uh, you see the, the Ho Chi Minh Trail marked on there, which was actually a, a whole network of roads that the North Vietnamese used trucks to bring ammunition and supplies down to their, their insurgents in South Vietnam. Amazing, amazing displays you have here. They're painstaking. I've never been in combat, thankfully, but to see how, how they lived while they were fighting for freedoms. I mean, I wish there was no war. I'm sure you do too. But uh, it's inevitable and necessary at times in this day. One day, hopefully, right? The human race will be no war. Hopefully we'll get to a point where we can uh, work out our differences without killing each other. You being a Star Trek fan, <laughs> living, living the Star Trek life so we can explore, we, we could take care of ourselves and then start to explore new worlds. That, that would be ideal. Oh, hold on just a second here. What do we got? Backing up a little bit. Okay, uh, this, um, this is fairly new, but my understanding is this is a uh, chemical weapons disposal facility. Oh, okay. And I, I want to say it's at Pine Bluff, but I can't promise that. Uh, Pine Bluff has a major arsenal here in you know, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, major arsenal. Chemical disposal facility, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Yes, yes. So, and then we read the placard and it says Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Jerry's very smart. Yes, this, this is very new. Um, but uh, we, the United States had a huge chemical weapons arsenal during the Cold War. Oh, yeah. And you can't just throw that stuff in your local garbage dump. So this is a facility to uh, destroy those in a safe way. I was going to show you, uh, to me, one of the most, to, something I think is very, very cool. In every movie where they have nuclear bombs, they uh, take some keys you know they'll have two people and they both have to turn the key at the same time to launch the missiles yeah jack maybe launch a missile earlier well in this little box right there you'll see two actual missile launch keys 
So if there ever had been a nuclear war with Russia, those two keys would have launched uh, a nine megaton bomb towards Russia. Amazing. Who did all these displays, or is it various people? Uh, lots of people over many years. This is a real nose cone. There was a nine megaton bomb right there. Right there in that space, a nine megaton bomb pointed at Russia for many years, 25 years, roughly. Yeah, we're back at this gigantic uh, warhead nose cone. And there's a plaque dedicated to it if you want to read it or talk about it. Uh, well, the, the, this is the, it's essentially the re-entry vehicle. So the bomb would have been right there in the middle, and this was a heat shield that would have protected the bomb as it went through, back through the atmosphere, like you see in the Apollo 13 movie where they're coming through and the, the fire on the outside. This, this would protect the bomb till it got back inside the atmosphere, and then the bomb would come out. And uh, Yeah, you wouldn't want that, that bomb to explode too early in the atmosphere. You want it to get to its target, get to its location, and then detonate. The Air Force, or the military, had what they called their always-never philosophy. You wanted your nuclear weapons to always work when you wanted them to, but to never accidentally go off. It's very difficult to have something that will never fail when you need it to work, but um, still maintain a level of safety. And it's, it was a, a, a huge engineering problem that, um, and also if, uh, uh, dedicated people like Jack Meadows over here who spent many years making sure that these missiles always would work if they needed to, hoping they never would need to. Yeah, he said he retired a year before the actual incident in Damascus. He said it, it was coincidental. He had nothing to do with it. Thank you so much, Jerry, man. Is there any, is there any pertinent information, any, any final thoughts about the military museum or invite people to come out? Uh, I would like to invite everyone to come out and see the Jacksonville Museum of Military History. Uh, there's lots of exhibits here covering uh, the entirety of uh, U.S. military history with a focus on uh, Arkansas's contributions to America's military history. What's the address? What's the phone number? Is there an email or a website? JacksMilitaryMuseum.org is our website. Uh, we're on Veterans Circle off of Main Street here in uh, Jacksonville, Arkansas. Very good. Thank you so much, Jerry Epps. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Well, there you have it, party people. The Jacksonville Museum of Military History in Jacksonville, Arkansas. I encourage you to go take a trip, you know, learn a little bit more about the military. Uh, and uh, th a big, big thanks to Jerry Epps, Jack Meadows, my father-in-law, Bobby Haynes, my mother-in-law, Dolores Haynes, and my lovely wife, Rochelle Gilson, for especially for taking the pictures. She, uh, It's a... Uh, it's nice to have help from your friends and family. <laughs> you can get by with little help from your friends. <sighs> I just, wow. It's a good museum, but um, I wish we didn't have to have war so we could dedicate museums to war. And maybe, you know, those resources could be better used in peacekeeping. I feel like if everybody had the resources that they needed, roof over their heads, food on the plate, money in their pocket, I think that would be, uh, a, well, a step in the right direction to ending wars. You know, we got to get together. Come on. 
Let's get together. Quit your fighting, he says, as there's bombs exploding in the video in his background. If you were listening to the audio version of this, I encourage you really to check out the video version on my YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash user forward slash keys. Dan, <sighs> thank you so much. Good people of the Jacksonville Museum of Military History and my loyal listeners, please go visit. If you have the means, if you're in the area, get down there, check it out. It's wonderful. That's it for this edition of what makes you famous. It's keys. Dan. RadioWhat.com, DJLittleRock.com. Peace. I'm out of here. If you like what you hear, follow What Makes You Famous social media. Use the hashtag What Makes You Famous. Follow on Facebook at What Makes You Famous. Follow on Instagram at What Makes You Famous. Follow on Twitter at Makes Famous. And follow on YouTube at Keys Dan. Leave What Makes You Famous podcast a review and subscribe. Listen to What Makes You Famous podcasts on Podbean, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, and almost anywhere you find podcasts. Tell your story on my podcast, What Makes You Famous. Call 501-470-6386 and leave a message to set up a time. You can support What Makes You Famous using the PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash keys dan email info at radio what.com what makes you famous podcast is a production of keys dan enterprises incorporated at keys thank you for listening this is keys dan and this is shelly g and you're listening to radio what.com radio what the music you want with some words to live by always choose life a public service message from RadioWhat.com. The music you want.